This is BOA News reporting by remote. I'm Michael Brown. The House Committee investigating the January 6th insurrection has issued a subpoena to former White House counsel Pat Cipollone. Previous witnesses have testified Cipollone was in meetings in which lawyers debated strategies to overturn former President Donald Trump's election laws. The committee says that it requires Cipollone's testimony after obtaining other evidence about which he was uniquely positioned to testify. The committee says Cipollone had previously given the committee an informal interview but refused to provide on-the-record testimony. Greg Abbott, the governor of the U.S. state of Texas, is taking steps to respond to the deaths of dozens of migrants inside a sweltering tractor-trailer, DP's Ed Donahue reports. Abbott is setting up more checkpoints on highways. Targeting trucks like the one that was used where these people perished uh, to make sure that we will have a better capability of perhaps stopping future trucks like that. The Republican governor says many of these deaths could have been prevented if President Biden fully funded the Border Patrol operation. He pointed out the truck passed through a border checkpoint. It was not inspected because the Border Patrol does not have the resources to be able to inspect all of the trucks. And as a result, the Border Patrol did not have the capability of saving those lives. The truck was registered in Texas, but had fake plates and logos. I'm Ed Donahue. President Joe Biden thanked Turkish President Recep Tayyip Erdogan on Wednesday for dropping his objections to the bids by Sweden and Finland to join NATO, leading the way for the military alliance to expand even closer to Russia. As always, for details on much more news, we invite you to join us at our website. That is voanews.com. Also on the VOA mobile app. Via remote, this is VOA News. A journalist was shot Wednesday in northeastern Mexico as he was leaving his house with his 23-year-old daughter who was seriously injured, according to state prosecutors and the newspaper that employed him. Antonio de la Cruz was a reporter for the local newspaper Expresso for almost three decades. His death brings to 12 the number of journalists killed this year and the country the deadliest for the Mexican press. De La Cruz reported on rural and social topics such as water shortages for the Expresso. The federal prosecutor's office said it was opening an investigation into the deadly shooting. Well, disgraced American singer R. Kelly is devastated at being sentenced to 30 years in prison for racketeering and sex trafficking, according to his defense team. AP Music correspondent Margie Sarleta has that story. R. Kelly did not address the court before his sentence. He had little reaction even when his accusers addressed him directly. One said through tears she had lost faith in the legal system until a jury found Kelly guilty of racketeering and other counts in September. Another said Kelly made her do things that broke her spirit. Kelly, who is 55, denied wrongdoing. His lawyer said Kelly had an abusive childhood and deserved no more than 10 years in prison. And Margie Zaraleta. Israel on Wednesday moved closer toward... Its fifth election in less than four years, plunging it deeper into political uncertainty as it grapples with rising living costs amid renewed international efforts to revive a nuclear deal with Iran. Prime Minister Naftali Bennett announced he would not run in the upcoming election, but would retain his position as alternate prime minister after his coalition partner, Yair Lapid, takes over as head of the caretaker government. Lapid and Bennett ended Netanyahu's, Benjamin Netanyahu, that is, record of 12 years reigning over the country by 
forming a rare ideologically mixed alliance that included an independent Arab party for the first time. The government lasted longer than many expected but faltered in recent weeks amid infighting. And Pfizer Incorporated and partner BioNTech said Wednesday they signed a $3.2 billion deal with the U.S. government for 105 million doses of their COVID-19 vaccine, which could be delivered as soon as later this summer. As always, for details on much more news, we invite you to join us at our website. That is voanews.com, also on the VOA mobile app. I'm Michael Brown reporting by remote. VOA News. Today is Thursday, June 30th, and this is VOA's International Edition. I am Chinedofo in Washington. Coming up in the next half hour, President Joe Biden announces a ramp-up of U.S. forces and equipment across Europe. We're going to continue to adjust our posture based on the threat close consultation with our allies. We're going to approve a new NATO strategic concept and reaffirm the unity and determination of our alliance. To NATO invites Sweden and Finland to become members of the military alliance. The traditionally neutral Nordic countries made their bids to join following Russia's invasion of Ukraine. NATO also formally agreed to treat Russia as the most significant and direct threat. And a UN investigator warns of systematic and widespread repression in Belarus. We'll have these stories and more next on International Edition. Stay tuned. U.S. President Joe Biden said on Wednesday his administration will ramp up forces and equipment across Europe including a new permanent army headquarters in Poland in response to threats from Russia. At a NATO summit in Madrid, Biden also underscored the Atlantic Alliance's commitment to, quote, defend every inch, unquote, of its territory. Biden said Washington would work with Spain to raise the number of U.S. destroyers based in the Rota Naval Base in Cadiz to six from four and send two additional F-35 squadrons to Britain. He also outlined changes that will continue to boost the number of U.S. forces air defenses and other weapons in Poland, Romania, the Baltic states, and other bases across Europe. Earlier this year, we surged 20,000 additional U.S. forces to Europe to bolster our alliance in response to Russia's aggressive move, bringing our force total in Europe to 100,000. We're going to continue to adjust our posture based on the threat in close consultation with our allies. We're going to approve a new NATO strategic concept and... Uh, reaffirm the unity and determination of our alliance to defend every inch of NATO territory. And uh, Article 5 is sacrosanct, and we mean it when we say an attack against one is an attack against all, every inch. And so at this summit, uh, the full alliance is going to welcome Finland and Sweden, their historic application for membership, and their decision to move away from neutrality and the tradition of neutrality to join NATO alliance is going to make stronger and more secure in NATO, stronger. And together, our allies, we're going to make up sure that NATO is ready to meet threats from all directions across every domain, land, air, and the sea. In the moment when Putin has shattered peace in Europe uh, and attacked the very, very tenets of rule-based order, the United States and our allies, we're going to step up. We're stepping up.
proving that NATO is more needed now than it ever has been, and it's as important as it ever has been. That's U.S. President Joe Biden. NATO has invited Sweden and Finland to become members of the military alliance on Wednesday, as the alliance described Russia as the, quote, most significant and direct threat to the Allies' security. Louis Danax of Reuters reports. NATO's door is open. NATO invited Sweden and Finland to join the military alliance on Wednesday in one of the biggest shifts in European security in decades. The traditionally neutral Nordic countries made their bids to join following Russia's invasion of Ukraine. NATO also formally agreed to treat Russia as the most significant and direct threat to the Allies' security, according to a summit statement. President Joe Biden said the U.S.-led alliance would be ready to deal with threats from all directions. We're going to approve a new NATO strategic concept and uh, reaffirm the unity and determination of our alliance to defend every inch of NATO territory. And uh, Article 5 is sacrosanct, and we mean it when we say an attack against one is an attack against all, every inch. He also said the U.S. would ramp up forces in Europe in response to threats from Russia. Biden's pledge came as Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky appeared at the summit virtually to appeal for more weapons. The question is, who will be next for Russia? Moldova or the Baltic countries or Poland? The answer is all of them. The bloc's 30 allies took the decision to admit Sweden and Finland at their summit in Madrid. Ratification in allied parliaments is likely to take up to a year. But once it's done, Finland and Sweden will be covered by NATO's Article 5 Collective Defense Clause, putting them under the United States' protective nuclear umbrella. Initially, Turkey vetoed the Nordic countries' bids to join due to concerns about terrorism. But President Tayyip Erdogan gave them the green light on Tuesday evening after agreeing to a series of security measures with his Finnish and Swedish counterparts. The North Atlantic Treaty Organization was founded in 1949 to defend against the Soviet threat. Russia's February 24th invasion of Ukraine, which it calls a special operation, gave the organization a new impetus after failures in Afghanistan and internal discord during the era of former U.S. President Donald Trump. That's Louisa Nax of Reuters. President Vladimir Putin said on Wednesday that Russia would respond in kind if NATO deployed troops and infrastructure in Finland and Sweden after they joined the U.S.-led military alliance. He said it was inevitable that Moscow's relations with Helsinki and Stockholm would sour over their NATO membership. Putin made his comment a day after NATO member Turkey lifted its veto over the bid by Finland and Sweden to join the alliance after the three nations agreed to protect each other's security. A UN investigator warns that systematic and widespread repression in Belarus is eroding people's civic and political rights. The investigator's report was presented Wednesday at a meeting of the UN Human Rights Council. Belarus boycotted the meeting as Lisa Schlein reports for VOA from Geneva. Special Rapporteur Anais Maren says the human rights situation in Belarus has gone from bad to worse. She says authorities are enacting laws that are stripping the rights and freedoms of their citizens. 
She says the criminal code has been amended to restrict freedom of expression, the right to peacefully assemble, and other fundamental rights. She says the new laws retroactively criminalize activities that previously were only considered administrative offenses. Speaking through an interpreter Wednesday in Geneva, she warned the action raises the troubling prospect of potential abuse resulting from the arbitrary application of very restrictive legislation. Emblematic in that respect is that the scope of the death penalty in Belarus has been expanded by including cases of planning or attempts to plant terrorist acts, terms which aren't clearly defined, moreover. This paves the way for abusive application of the death penalty, even if um, no crime has been committed. Investigator Maran says the deterioration of the human rights situation in Belarus has resulted in the significant shrinking of civic space. She says the government is pursuing a deliberate policy to eradicate all media and expression of dissent. Moran says 1,214 people are imprisoned in Belarus on politically motivated charges. She says the climate of fear and impunity in Belarus has forced tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands, of repressed and intimidated Belarusians into exile. She speaks through an interpreter. I would add that my mandate has been informed of severe repression by the authorities against anti-war protesters in Belarus, but also of difficulties and cases of discrimination and hate speech that certain Belarusians who've been forced to leave their country have endured since the start of the Russian armed aggression in Ukraine. Moran urges the international community to support and protect the human rights of those Belarusian nationals that have been forced into exile due to repression and intimidation by the state. Belarus boycotted Wednesday's meeting, renouncing its right of reply. Contacted by VOA after the meeting, the Belarusian UN mission in Geneva said it had no comment. Lisa Schlein for VOA News, Geneva. A vast majority of Australians now see China as a military threat to their country, according to a respected Sydney-based research organization. Russia's war in Ukraine has also been identified as a major security concern in a recently released survey by the Lowy Institute. Phil Mercer reports from Sydney. The Lowy Institute's annual survey reports that Australians are worried about Russia's invasion of Ukraine and the potential for conflict between China and Taiwan. The poll released Tuesday by the Sydney-based organisation has also shown that trust in China and confidence in its president Xi Jinping is at record lows in Australia. Natasha Kassam is the Lowy Institute's polling director. She told VOA the poll reflects a growing sense of apprehension in Australia. In 2022, Australians are most concerned about China and the potential for a war over Taiwan between the United States and China. This is really looming large for Australians after Russia's invasion of Ukraine, which I think was a reminder for most Australians that they should not take their safety and security for granted. Australia has fallen out with China in recent years over significant geopolitical issues, including Beijing's territorial ambitions in the South China Sea and the COVID-19 pandemic. Australia's call for an investigation into the origins of COVID-19 became a source of intense friction. It was first detected in China, but Beijing saw Australia's demand for a global inquiry 
as criticism of its handling of the virus. In apparent retaliation, China imposed restrictions on a range of Australian imports, including restrictions on coal and wine. Kasim says many Australians worry what China might do in the future. Three quarters of the Australian public say that China may pose a military threat to Australia in the next two decades. It really shows that while Australians are focused on the potential for conflict in the region, whether that be in Taiwan or over other disputed areas, they are really concerned about the way in which China has been treating Australia. The recently elected Canberra government is attempting to soothe tensions with China, which is Australia's biggest trading partner. But analysts have said fresh tensions have emerged recently, as Beijing attempts to boost its security and trade presence in the Pacific, an area Australia regards as its traditional sphere of influence. The Lowy Institute survey indicates strong support for the Australia-US alliance that dates back to the early 1950s. 87% of respondents said they saw the alliance as very or fairly important, a nine-point increase from last year. However, the survey indicates that while military ties with the United States are the bedrock of Australia's national security, they are considered to be both a strength and a potential weakness because they could drag Australia into a war in Asia. The Lowy Institute poll samples the views of about 2,000 people. The annual survey began in 2005. Phil Mercer for VOA News, Sydney. In other news, disgraced R&B superstar R. Kelly was sentenced Wednesday to 30 years in prison for using his fame to sexually abuse young fans, including some who were just children, in a systematic scheme that went on for decades. Through tears and anger, several of Kelly's accusers told the court and the singer himself that he had misled and preyed upon them. Kelly, 55, didn't give a statement and showed no reaction on hearing his penalty, which also included a $100,000 fine. He had denied wrongdoing and he plans to appeal his conviction. The Grammy-winning multi-platinum selling songwriter was found guilty last year of racketeering and sex trafficking. His trial gave voice to accusers who had previously wondered if their stories were being ignored because they were black women. For more on this story and other breaking news, visit our website at voaafrica.com. Remember to connect with us on social media. We're on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. Search for VOA Africa. You are listening to VOA's International Edition. I am Chinedu Afoy in Washington. Ethiopia's ruling party said this week it wants the African Union to mediate any peace talks to end the war with Tigrayan forces. But the Tigray People's Liberation Front, or TPLF, has said it does not trust the AU and wants Kenya to mediate. Heron Wilkins speaks to analysts and politicians about the standoff and prospects for talks in this report from Addis Ababa, Ethiopia. The comments by Ethiopian Justice Minister Gedeon Timotheos came on Tuesday once again, making clear the government's desire for the African Union, partnering with the United States, to mediate peace negotiations with the Tigray People's Liberation Front. The TPLF, however, has said it does not trust the AU and would favour Kenyan President Uhuru Kenyatta playing the role. So, why are the two sides opposed even at this early stage in negotiations, and how does it bode for future talks? William Davidson is an analyst with the International Crisis Group, a Belgian-based research organisation. 
The position of Tigray's government seems to be based around um, a concern from the outset of the conflict uh, that the African Union Commission chairperson expressed um, some support um, for the Ethiopian federal military campaign in Tigray. I don't think that the federal government feels that the African Union has much sort of coercive power at its disposal, um, and therefore it's a mediator that it's better able to handle. The AU headquarters is also located in Addis Ababa. Solomon Gawadi, a lecturer in law at Jijiga University in Ethiopia, says he suspects Kenya would not be a neutral party in negotiations. Because Kenya has uh, certain border and environmental issues with regard to Ethiopia, maybe it may involve into any partiality or any sort of factors that will lead uh, Kenya uh, into non-neutral, right? So I think... The African Union is a better place, right, than Kenya. Davison goes on to say that these kinds of disagreements are normal and can be overcome. So no particular reason why the Kenyan government can't work alongside um, the African Union and its envoy as a sort of compromise solution. And, and that's certainly what's necessary because um, given what's at stake here, it's vitally important that these sorts of procedural wrangling don't distract um, from the parties getting down to substantive talks. Complicating the negotiations is the fact some analysts and politicians have said peace talks should involve actors in the conflict apart from the TPLF and the government. In particular, the Ethiopian regional governments of Amhara and Afar and the national government of Eritrea. Eritrean troops joined the Ethiopian government in fighting against the TPLF in the north of Ethiopia, bringing to an end a decades-long standoff between the two nations. The war between Tigrayan forces and Ethiopia's federal government has raged since November 2020. An estimated 5.1 million people were displaced by the conflict in 2021. Ghent University in Belgium says up to half a million people have died so far because of the conflict, either in fighting or because of the humanitarian crisis it has caused. Henry Wilkins for VOA News, Addis Ababa, Ethiopia. Thank you, Henry. The World Health Organization's Chief Tedros Adnan Ghebreyesus said on Wednesday that, quote, sustained transmission, unquote, of monkeypox worldwide could see the virus begin to move into high-risk groups such as pregnant women, immunocompromised people, and children. He said the agency was investigating reports of infected children, including two cases in Britain, as well as following up reports in Spain and France. None of the cases in children have been severe. The virus has now been identified in more than 50 countries outside Africa, where it is endemic. Cases are also rising in those countries, said the WHO, calling for texts to be ramped up. There have been more than 3,400 cases of monkeypox and one death since the outbreak began in May, largely in Europe, among men who have had sex with men, according to WHO tally. The virus has now been identified in more than 50 new countries, and that trend is likely to continue. I'm concerned about sustained transmission because it would suggest that the virus is establishing itself and it could move into high-risk groups, including children, the immunocompromised and pregnant women. We're starting to see this with several children already infected. While the emergency committee did not advise that the current outbreak represents a public health emergency of international concern, they acknowledged the emergency nature of the event and that controlling The further spread requires intense response efforts. They also advised that I should reconvene them quickly based on the evolving situation, which I will do. That's World Health Organization Chief Tedros Adan Ghebreyesus. 
This is Science in a Minute. A new study that has been published in the journal The Lancet Infectious Diseases suggests that COVID-19 vaccines prevented 20 million of a possible 31.4 million global deaths for the period of December 2020 to December 2021. That time period represents the first year that COVID-19 vaccines were made available to the public and not through previous clinical trial studies. The study goes on to propose that nearly 600,000 additional deaths worldwide could have been prevented if the World Health Organization's goal of having 40% of each country's population vaccinated by the end of 2021 was met. Countries considered to be high and upper middle income countries were shown to have the largest number of averted deaths, which the study authors say demonstrates the inequity of global access to vaccines. I'm VOA's Rick Pantaleo. Hello, I'm Carol Castiel. Finland and Sweden are on the road to NATO membership. At the NATO summit in Madrid, Turkey lifted its initial objections to these two applicants, and the Atlantic Alliance pledged stronger support for Ukraine as it defends itself against Russian aggression. The outcomes of the NATO summit as the coalition gears up to deter both Russia and China from attacking the liberal international order. That's Encounter this Saturday and Sunday on The Voice of America. Hi, I'm Kim Lewis. Join me and our panel of journalists as we discuss the top stories of the week, including Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky stressing the need to NATO Secretary General Jens Stoltenberg for a powerful missile defense system. Leaders convened this week in Madrid for the NATO 2022 summit with Ukraine a major topic of discussion. Join us for Issues in the News this Saturday and Sunday on The Voice of America. And to all our VOA listeners, please note we have moved our programs to a new website, voaafrica.com, from voanews.com. There you will find all your favorite VOA radio and TV programs and a whole lot more. Find us on voaafrica.com, and thanks for listening. This has been International Edition on The Voice of America. On behalf of the entire production team, Thank you so much for listening. Visit our website for in-depth coverage of world events and news 24 hours a day at voaafrica.com. Until next time, I am Chino Rofo in Washington. Have a wonderful day. An editorial reflecting the views of the United States government. The right to freedom of expression, including freedom of the press, faces profound challenges in our own hemisphere and around the world, declared Secretary of State Antony Blinken at the Media Summit of Americas in Los Angeles. He highlighted three common challenges in media and what the United States is doing to tackle them. In order to combat disinformation, the State Department has launched the first hub of the Digital Communication Network of the Americas, a network of journalists, civil society, and government officials who collectively can address and counter state-sponsored propaganda. They will also address journalist safety. 
Another challenge is the ongoing threats, harassment, and violence faced by members of the press across a hemisphere, said Secretary Blinken. At least 17 journalists have been killed in this hemisphere in this year, according to the UNESCO Observatory of Killed Journalists, including most recently Yesenia Molinedo and Sheila Johanna Garcia, the director, and a reporter of the news website El Varaz in Veracruz, Mexico, shot to death on May the 9th. No region in the world is more dangerous for journalists. Governments are using legislation to quash free expression, as seen in the recent slate of restrictions adopted by El Salvador in the spring. In Cuba, Nicaragua, Venezuela, the simple act of carrying out investigative journalism is a crime. In response, the United States is working across the region to strengthen the rule of law and train judges and prosecutors to investigate and prosecute such attacks. USAID will provide up to $9 million to support a global defamation defense fund for journalists, which will offer liability coverage for reporters and news organizations targeted with unjust litigation. And the State Department is investing up to $3.5 million to launch a journalism protection platform that will protect and train journalists under threat. Third, the U.S. is working to make independent media more sustainable, said Secretary Blinken. We've committed $30 million to the International Fund for Public Interest Media, which will focus on assisting media and resource poor and unstable settings, and $5 million to improve the financial viability of independent media outlets. A free, independent press across the Western Hemisphere is more important now than ever, said Secretary Blinken, for the well-being of our people, for the well-being of our communities, and for the well-being of our democracies. That was an editorial reflecting the views of the United States government. 